Had we not broken all of our bones, I don't think we would have had the willingness to try and test and experiment like we did. If you reframe failure as not an identity, but as the data point, that just became information for us to how we could kind of grow and get better. So it was the best thing that ever happened to us. I'm Patrick Pacheco. You're listening to season four of In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we share a wealth of knowledge to help you navigate the opportunities ahead, because that's what Cadence is all about the expertise and flexibility to do business on your terms. We're empowered to help, whether it's through our podcast or any one of our more than 350 locations across the South and Texas. This season on In Good Companies, we've heard from incredible business people and revealed some of their best kept secrets from culture and community to security management or private equity. But there's one question we've not touched on, not really. As a company, how long does it take to make it? In business, it's hard to stick it out these days. 20% of companies go bust in their first two years. What's more, only a fifth make it past their 15th anniversary. But on this podcast, we're hopeful. So to finish season four on a high note, we hear from a guest who has seen it all and has come out of the other end stronger than ever. I am Charlie Maloof, the president and CEO of Broad River Retail. We are a licensee of Ashley Stores throughout the Carolinas and a little bit into Georgia. We are a home furnishings retailer. Charlie Maloof's career started 30 years ago in web development technology. Nothing to do with furniture. But he crossed paths with Broad River Retail, and he was ripe for the opportunity. Since Charlie joined in 2005, what was once a three-store licensee has become a fast-growing top retailer with 31 locations and more than 800 employees. As for Charlie, his innovative vision and his impact on the local community have made him one of Charlotte's most admired CEOs. But to get here, let me assure you, it was not easy. There were setbacks, tribulations, and most importantly, reinvention. Today, Charlie takes us on the path to business success because a rocky road can still lead to a perfect moment and a very special anniversary. We just celebrated our 20-year anniversary earlier this year. So we've been around 20 years. Ashley is a global brand, and uh, there's over 1,100 stores across the globe, maybe about 700 in North America, United States and Canada predominantly. And we're selling to, uh, you know, end consumers who need furniture, right? And so I'd say it's like the middle 80% of America. We're, We're really on the practical, whether I'm starting up, starting over, starting a family, or moving into a big suburban home, we've got something for you. And so we've just seen a lot of focus and success within the confines of, a, of an established system, if you will. Okay. So I read somewhere that joining Broad River Retail was something of a spiritual awakening for you. Can you maybe expound on that a little bit? Well, yeah, I sure can. I am not one of the co-founders. There were two co-founders, Jonathan Ishii and Jackson Moore, and they started this business right out of grad school from Vanderbilt, where they got their MBA degrees. Jonathan was trying to get a job with an investment bank. He couldn't at the time. He didn't have enough experience. His uncles, who had a furniture store in Mississippi, which I know is some of the heritage of Cadence Bank, and Jonathan's from Mississippi. I'm from Mississippi. We knew of each other. We were uh, acquaintances. So they started Ashley. They made all the first year mistakes. They nearly went out of business, but they figured it out. They gritted it out and they got 
store number two open. And around that time, they were about to acquire store number three, or they began those conversations with an owner in Greenville, South Carolina. And they knew that this thing was getting kind of larger. And I had my own business. I I was about to wrap up the fifth year of my own business, which was in the e-business technology, website development, design, database programming, and the like. And I was happy and content in the town I grew up in, knew everyone, but something uh, seemed maybe was stirring in me. And I would say I was kind of reawakening to my faith. I, I think Jonathan Jackson offered me an opportunity to invest and buy in as an owner and a managing partner. And so that was, it was made intriguing from a business sense, but that meant I was going to have to sell and give up my baby, my company that I had owned for five years. And so when Jonathan called me to join, I said, well, one, I don't know anything about retail or furniture. Matter of fact, I hate shopping, but I knew that Jonathan was a man of faith and I knew that Jackson was a man of faith. And so I felt spiritually called as much as a business calling. And so I sold my house, sold my company, moved away from everyone I I kind of knew. And I joined May 1st, 2005, the day we opened store number three and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to join really roughly two years after the company had opened its first store. But finding purpose and passion through that and taking that leap of faith and never looking back turned out to be a very wise decision. I didn't think too much about it. I just kind of went, uh, heard the call and went. When it comes to business, risk-taking is a relative thing. What some consider pure chance, others see as a calculated step. So when Charlie joined Broad River, sure, he put a lot on the line, but he also seized an opportunity to learn. Someone asked me one time, this seemed very risky to do what you did. And, and I never thought of it like that. That was never my perspective. It seemed like actually riskier, maybe staying as a solopreneur, you know, and having all the risk myself. And so joining an established company, you know, at the time, Jonathan called it getting on the ground floor of the next McDonald's. And I said, I don't know anything about furniture. He said, well, you know about business and its widgets and you'll figure it out. And so I learned about process improvement and systems improvement and deploying technology innovation into the business. But there's a lot of excitement and new stuff about that and growing as a kind of a leader and an individual. And so it was never boring. I, I, you know, even though it was hard at times, I met my wife in Charlotte and we were starting a young family and after a couple of years of being married or so. And so there was enough things, I think, later on. What I always hear about people that are, have that, that, that true leap of faith. I mean, to, they mortgage their house, they sell everything. They just, everything in the world to put, to invest on an idea that, that sometimes is a, is a little different than what they are as far as the way they grew up. And that, that's a very, fairly common theme that we hear through here. I mean, I'm sure your leap of faith got tested at times. What did the first few years look like? Any bumps in the road? Oh, yeah, a lot of bumps in the road. Uh, you know, from 03 to 2014, I would say we were a pretty above average company. We had entered the Furniture Today top 100 list. We were growing. We were doing well. We were surviving. Yeah, we had trials and tribulations along the way, but we were making it. And then I would say that we broke all of our bones. And then I would tell you it was the best thing that ever happened to us. We did an ERP software transition that we'd been preparing for for a long time, and we did not handle it well. And, and then we also did an acquisition at the beginning of 2015, uh, we acquired two stores in Western North Carolina, the Asheville market. And, and then we were breaking ground on a brand new campus that was going to take a lot of capital to build as our first big investment on a new campus. And the ERP conversion, everything went awry. So we ordered 
the wrong things, which is, so we'd get the wrong sort of inventory and we wouldn't get the right inventory. We were breaking promises left and right to our customers. It's like all the wheels came off the bus all at once and the bus was about to go off the ledge. And, you know, there's some gory parts of the story. I don't know. I want to keep this PG (laughs) for your audience, but let's just say that we went from a profitable, successful endeavor to a unprofitable endeavor through this catastrophic event over a period of six months really, really quickly. Broad River success wasn't built in a day. And if you think 2015 was rough, imagine being in the CEO's shoes. Not so enticing, right? And yet, that's when Charlie stepped in and stepped up. It was like creative destruction 101. We just rebuilt the house with all these ideas that had been percolating. And we didn't go to the committee and say, well, we've always done it this way before. Nothing was working. So it was just this crazy period of creativity. And so what did we do? We went from human resources to human capital. We changed the way we branded delivery. And then when we were at our worst, and if I was a Wall Street CEO, they would have fired me the first week on the job because we agreed to pay our people more because we used to not pay commission on delivery. We remodeled it and said, wait a second, there's enough abundance here that if we sell it the right way, if we reprice it, if we don't give it away, there's enough spoils here to share. So the spirit of abundance came into effect. And so best thing that ever happened to us, because had we not broken all of our bones, Patrick, I don't think we would have had the willingness to try and test and experiment and innovate like we did. And it took a while to get the flywheel moving in the right direction. And it was really, really hard to kind of get that momentum going. We had to push forth that extra effort and that grit. And then we had to kind of pitch and cast a brand new vision. And when you're at the base of the mountain, those things are so exciting. I mean, if you think, if you reframe failure as not an identity, but as data, failure is a data point. And if you don't think of it as winning or losing, but winning and learning, that that just became information for us to how we could kind of grow and get better. So it's the best thing that ever happened to us. Yeah, it's funny because when I was talking about entrepreneurs, it's either that somebody has nothing to lose doesn't realize what they have to lose. One of those two things. And, and for me, I, I have a little bit to lose and I realize what I have to lose. So I, that's why as a lawyer, I was, I was going to be on the side of the table that was congratulating the business owner on their huge success or their sale of their company or whatever it may be because I just didn't have that ability just to take that big leap of faith. But I think that you were really at that point of you didn't have anything to lose here. Well, I did and I didn't. I, I will tell you, um, I had 10 years of sweat equity and promises and commitments I made to my family and to my mom, to my wife and dreams. And I had bought into the business and all that was going to go away. And all my life savings and everything I've had from the previous business and investing into this could have gone away and been evaporated. So in some sense, maybe I didn't have anything to lose, but in some sense, I had everything to lose and, or everything to gain. And so, you know, we just had to believe like, the failure wasn't our identity. It was something that happened that we could explain how it happened and we could get out of it because other companies we could look around like us were succeeding. And so this was a moment of time and we just had to believe that we could band together and we had to say, hey, this fight's not going to be for everyone. And if you don't want to be in this fight, that's okay. We can still be friends, but you can't hold us back. And we had some leaders who had to go. And then we had others who stuck around and looked me in the eye and said, hey, I'm with you. We all had something that we were really proud of, which was this company. It wasn't just like Charlie's company. It was 
our collective company and you see the goodness of people that comes at a crisis and you you can lean on that goodwill that accrues over many years when you really need it i just know that i can trust our people to really dig in when when we need to you know as as, the, as we've gone through different shows one of the things that's really starting to congeal as a as a point now is this shift in business from widgets and numbers to people and to kind of the human nature of, of the relationship you have with everybody from the person on the dock to your top salesman to the CEO. It seems like that has become really a, a new way of viewing people, of viewing businesses. And it seems like you were kind of on the forefront of, of that with what you did here. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Listen, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. I've learned from people who started the conscious capitalism movement. We've learned about people who uh, talk about being a purpose-driven business. And I mentioned earlier that we, we changed from human resources to human capital. It's really a way of looking at people. If you think about resource on a balance sheet, it's, it's like a liability that you want to minimize. And if you think of people as assets, you want to grow your assets. And so we just said, we want to grow our people. You know, you've often heard the maxim, we like to treat our people so well, so they'll take care of our customers. And one way that I can love my customers and my guests is to love my people really well. And so we said, okay, how can we do that? So we created a memory maker experience department. Our people, you know, are called memory makers. They have their own unique identity. We like to say purpose begins with identity. Our organizational purpose is furnishing life's best memories and calling ourselves memory makers, just like Disney calls their employees cast members, is something differentiated than a commoditized term like teammate, associate, constituent, employee, etc. And so memory maker is something unique to Broad River Retail. You come in as a memory maker. What does it mean to be a memory maker? And so we care about your experience experience from day one through your end of time. And we want to see you grow and get better. And we want to invest in you. And we always say that we will grow as far as our people will take us, dot, 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 or not. So we have to have growth-minded people. And then we have to invest in growing our people. With this human capital lens, we have to have career paths for everyone. And that's that gives people something, not just like compensation, not just benefits, not just recognition, all of which are important, right? But so is growth and and progress. People don't want to like be in the same job for 10 years. They might get bored out of their mind. And so you want to kind of grow and learn as as an organization or as a person. If you want to grow as a company, you need to take everyone with you from the warehouse to the retail floor. And if you don't have internal structures to make that happen, well, Charlie says you could change the rules. In our industry, there's an acronym for a salesperson. It's called RSA, Retail Sales Associate. And our industry is big on these acronyms. We love our own type of acronyms. But you would see someone who'd been on our sales floor for nine years and blood, sweat, and tears and had like just done a phenomenal job and excelled with us and, and helped the company grow. That person's title... RSA, Retail Sales Associate. And then I'd meet the person who'd been there for 90 minutes and they're being trained by the person who's been there for 90 years. And they, they don't really know anything, right? They just kind of joined the company and, and that person's title, a newbie, brand new to the company, RSA. So you mean to tell me that I get to look forward to nine years of helping the company grow and thrive and prosper, but I get no growth? I mean, how demoralizing. So we changed it just because we could. So we created these career paths in a, in a traditional industry where they've never existed before. 
And we said, okay, home furnishings associate would be the starting level. You can get a certification and achievement to home furnishings consultant and then home furnishings professional. And then the special forces, the elite, the creme de la creme, home furnishings expert. And with each of these levels come different commissions, bonuses, perks, recognition. You get the special business card, the special $50 an hour pay time off, the special uh parking spot, you know, designated for you. And you can also lose your expert designation. So it's not like it's not a, a legacy, like you don't hold it forever. You have to continue to invest in yourself and hit the marks. And so that we just created and held ourselves accountable to career paths for everyone, which just gives you a more energizing approach. So it sounds like from 2015 to 2019, you have this new strategy, everything is going really well. And then COVID-19 hits. What challenges did you face and how did you get, get through those? Wow. Okay. We're going there. We're going to COVID-19. Well, it was really scary at first, Patrick. We did not qualify for any of the PPP loans and, and money that was available because we had the arbitrary number of 500 employees and we're not like a franchise business. So, uh, so we had some major capital needs in March of 2020 because we were going from one to two campuses. It was a made the biggest investment that we were ever making. And we had to hire like four dozen memory makers in, in the back half of March 2020, right when the pandemic hit to open this new campus. We had refinanced fortuitous timing with our, our senior term loan with Cadence Bank. I think that closed on March 5th or March 9th, 2020, right before the pandemic got declared. You know, so it injected a little bit of cash in our business at that time that we thought that we might need for the capital that we were going to be acquiring. We just said, okay, we got to run some models really quickly. Let's look at the second quarter. How long can we sustain if our revenues go down 25%, if they go down 50%, if they go down 75%, if they go down to 0%. If our revenues went to 0%, it wasn't a good out outcome, right? There's, <laughs> there was a finite amount of time that we could survive there. And so we needed to keep our stores to the extent that we could safely keep our stores open. So we were trying to minimize expenses, work with landlords in areas where we could keep our stores open, but with a reduced staff. But we also had concern for our people. We had memory makers concern about catching COVID, or memory makers concerned about their income and we weren't getting the government support. So we thought that we could survive with about 30% choosing to go on furlough. And that's roughly what we had. We offered it as a volunteer option and about 30% of our folks went on furlough. And before we even knew about the government stimulus money coming out to help people, we had this founder scholarship foundation that we were going to give scholarship. We give scholarships to our memory makers and children of our memory makers and so we took those funds for one year because we knew they were going to undergo hard, economic hardship. So we just sent everyone who took a furlough a check that arrived in their mailbox. And we were going to try to get by with about two thirds of our stores opening and opening safely with safe conditions, with social spacing, that sort of thing. But what happened, Patrick, was when we were bracing for the storm and the worst and we had some of our stores open, when those stimulus checks hit about mid-April, customers started shopping again. May 2020 was just off the chain. It was crazy. And by the way, Patrick, you know, when, when you look and you see sometimes God just had his hand on the business to protect you. That's kind of what I believe. We had a warehouse fire in early June of 2020. And our entire distribution center was filled up with smoke. It had started with some cardboard outside the dock door and it set off all the sprinklers, but the smoke was uh, covering the distribution center. And we had loaded up this warehouse with inventory. 
we thought we were going to have uh, 97% inventory loss with all these orders that we needed to go fill. We came up, we had like less than 3% inventory loss. It was amazing. It was almost like a miracle. All that to say, the second quarter where we thought break even was our best case turned out to be our most profitable quarter that we'd ever had as a company in 2020. To get your business back on its legs, sometimes it takes a small miracle or, you know, a little bit of patience and faith. For Broad River, the pandemic was the final push they needed. The back half of 2020, we were growing our backlog by a million dollars a week. And then our cancellations were about half a million a week. And so it was tough on uh, our people and, and they'd write these sales and they'd have them canceled or then their, their delivered sales would be much less than they expected. And so we did programs to support them, to give them top off uh, loans, to pay their benefits for a period of time, to subsidize their income. At retail, for a long period of time, they had to learn how to connect with guests like with while wearing their face mask, right? And kind of smile through, see your eyes, smile. So they got better. They A, a lot of our people did better through that. And, and worked on skills and developed muscles that maybe didn't know that they had. And then by March of 2021, delivered sales really started outpacing written sales and written sales were still strong in 21 and 22. And there's also almost like generational demand. And it was amazing demand. It was amazing to see our people band together to trust the company for us to like come out with different policies every single day, how we can keep people safe, what who's coming off furlough, how we can put in programs to take care of our people as well as we can. And so it was tough, but we got through it. We thrived through it. If you look at our 2021 growth and 2022 growth and our financials, it was just remarkable, remarkable years and results. Yeah, there was not a whole lot of companies that were coming out of COVID with, with positive momentum, and you guys came out of it with just incredible momentum. So COVID to now, you know, kind of coming to the present time, how are you doing business today? Did COVID change it? Did you go back to where you were at? You know, how do you do business today? <laughs> Such a good question. Well, business has changed, you know, well, let's first acknowledge that if you work in retail, you can't, you don't have the work from home option. If you work in a distribution center or a warehouse, you don't have the work from home option. So large parts of our population work really hasn't changed. But I would tell you that business today, we haven't mandated a return to office like four days a week or three days a week. We've largely left it to our department leaders to come up with the most appropriate schedules and in office for their people. Some are coming in one day, one day a week as a team. Some are coming in two or three days a week. Some are coming in every day. And we let them decide that what works best for them. What we learned is to be both competitive and flexible with our people, you can still manage and monitor you know, working from home. And we've been okay with that because our productivity has risen. You know, work isn't a place you go. Work is an output and we're looking at results. And, you know, I I read one time that the office has become the new meetup. So we've learned to really appreciate those things that we can do together uh, as a a team, as a group, as a community. And then as a company, uh, you asked me how is business today? Look, when COVID hit and the economic stimulus hit through 2022, I would say we had generational demand, maybe through parts of 2022. We don't have generational demand for our industry right now. So it's certainly softer than 2022 and certainly softer than 2021. However, year to date, our sales are really only off two or 3% from last year. So we're still able to grow, maintain our margins and and sell and, and maintain a profitable endeavor. And if you look at the last couple of years, we grew uh, 33% from 21 to 20. And then we grew like 22% from 22 to 21. 
And those are big numbers for a company that's like 18, 19 years old. So we're doing okay. We're healthy. Uh, We've really kind of adopted this new vision of a fortress balance sheet. When we think about longevity as a company and sustainability as a company and protecting our people, we're not looking at the next quarter, but the next quarter century. We want to make sure that we protect our balance sheet. And so we're still investing, not just with like next year in mind, but the next five to 10 years in mind. At Cadence Bank, we're here to help the people and communities we serve prosper. We have the understanding that comes from listening to your needs and the expertise to make it happen. Find out why Cadence is the bank for you. Visit CadenceBank.com to learn more. Cadence Bank, member FDIC. So since 2022, you've been running a company uh, podcast called Stories from the River. So, of course, we love that. Maybe tell us a little bit how the podcast helps your business and what it was brought in to do and, and what is it doing. I love podcasts personally, and I had this idea nestling for two or three years. I want to start a podcast. I want to start a podcast. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes when you start something, you're like, gosh, why didn't I do that years before? And this was like started as a passion project. And really the idea was I feel like I get a front row seat to amazing stories that happen every single day, every single week in our company. And what I wanted to really promote was the everyday heroes, the everyday memory makers at Broad River, because nobody was telling their story publicly, like, you know, going deep into their stories and and giving some of our other pragmatic, practical business ideas and and, and thoughts of that or ways that we do things and just sharing that back out. What it has grown into and what it has become was unexpected. What really has become like recruit, recruitment material, like everyone who comes into our applicant tracking like system and is looking at joining the company, they hit the podcast. And it used to be you go used to go into a store and walk a store to learn about a company or a furniture company. And now it's like, well, let me go into their podcast to see how they think or see how this leader thinks or what the CEO thinks or what the COO thinks. It really helps build our culture externally for applicants looking to consider our company, but also internally. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, I I wasn't really feeling motivated. And then I started listening to some of the podcasts and I've got a renewed sense of purpose for what I do and what it means for the company and the organization. And just thank you for producing that content. And, And then I'll tell you this last thing I'll tell you, Patrick. So these aren't like polished, like speakers who come on, who I interview on our podcast and, you know, we get them ready and they, and they do a good job and, you know, we put it on YouTube so their, you know, their family can watch it and everything else. But the week or so after their episode airs, the glow that they have, being able to show that and share that with their family, with their loved ones. Oh, that's what you do. Oh, that's why you're successful. Oh, I'm going to really support you because I know what you're, what you're doing at work. Like, it's just amazing how much joy they take from being featured prominently and produced and published on a podcast episode like that. And just the, their humble hearts and spirits and their drive and their willingness to share. So we're happy to share that back out about how we think, how our people, uh, what they do and how they think. And so it's been, there's just been unintended benefits that have come from it. Uh, I've, I've loved it when we were interviewing somebody and they go, I listened to your podcast. You know, they, put, they put some way up top, you know, they, okay, we're up here. You're, you're now the number one candidate. There's a, there's a young man down at the branch here in the, in the building, and he always tells me that he, he listened to it or 
and he'll, he'll brief me a little bit on, on what we talked. And then even the other day he said, you know, I probably would have asked this. And I thought, okay, now, now I know he really listens. <laughs> Patrick, I got an email today from someone who's going on vacation with his wife for his birthday. And uh, he said, hey, I'm on my vacation. I'm binge watching stories from the river. <laughs> I was like, That's, he's like one of our top fans. So it's fun to get that feedback. And it's, a, it's, a, it's another way to kind of add to uh, ways to communicate with, with our people and with our community. Valuing your community. Today, that's the name of the game at Broad River Retail. For Charlie, that also means sharing a spirit of abundance. One for all and all for one. You know, we, I have this belief that to whom much is given, much is required. Like, you don't have to lose vendor or partner in order for us to win, or our people don't have to lose or make less in order for us to win. There's enough to go around. The more we've taken care of our people, the better our company has done. And the more that we've been able to give back into our community, the more land yap, the more spoils that's created. It's just the cyclical flywheel that's really accelerated. And by the way, our people love working for a company that's community centered. And, the, and so we have volunteer goals. They volunteer in the community and we wanted to pick intentional partners. So one of the groups we support is a hope to dream. And that's a national program. And we work with local companies like Beds for Kids, and we'll take a portion of every mattress sale and we'll put it into a donation to Beds for Kids. And then we'll do one-for-one events sometimes, just like, hey, for every mattress we sell, we'll give a mattress to a kid in need because they're doing good work in the community. Another thing that we do is we'll pick one day a month and we might do a, hey, for this period of time, you can give $25 or more to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and get a certain discount off. And of course they'd give $25 because the discount they're going to get off is worth like 10 times or more than that. But what we see many times, we might ask for a $25 donation and a customer might give $500 or $1,000 or $2,000 because they want to participate with us in doing good. Uh, you know, through these micro donations, Patrick, last year, we, we raised nearly $200,000 for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And that's also what's really rewarding about business is you can be profitable, you can take care of your people, they can grow in the business, and then you can really help reinvest back into your community. And I think that's what it's about to steward a business the right way this day and age. There's a lot of things that you accomplished here, a lot of really, really kind of inspiring things that you accomplished. So what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of like how we've survived the trials and tribulations you know, the crucible moments that we've had as a company. I'm proud of how we've banded together and how we did it the right way. Like we didn't cut corners. We didn't sacrifice. I'm proud of how we let our faith shine, how we held onto a vision that we bought into collectively and how we went and manifested it. And we didn't like microwave it. I like to say you can't, you can't microwave culture. It takes a crock pot mentality. And I would say that's true with our business success. We've picked up our shovel every single day. We've gone to work. We put a smile on our faces and we've, we've gone after the work for the day and we don't have subscribers. That's part of our business plan. We're not Netflix or, you know, what have you or AT&T. We don't have the benefit of subscribers. We have to go win business every single day. And so I'm, I'm proud of how we've grown over the 20 years to where we are today, but we did it like one, it's not like it's a, it, it, on a, on a chart, it looks like a tick mark, but there's a lot of blood, sweat and grit. And, and it's a lot of like just daily disciplines and winning the day mantra and mindset. And a lot of people say, Hey, you've had a lot of success the last five years. I'm like, I don't think of it like that at all. Like I, I, I think my business career as well as Broad Rivers is, is very much in parallel. Like it's, it's an overnight success that was 20 years in the making is the way I see it. 
So whether you're a young business owner in the thick of today or a seasoned executive setting goals for the next 10 years, here's three big lessons from Broad River Retail. In business, you need to have faith. Follow your intuition. When you take a risk, you learn something too. And if things don't work out, look at what happened and decide what needs to change. Be creative, make up new rules. Whatever it takes to bounce back. When inspiration runs dry, remember, your vision follows your mission. So define your company's purpose and let that seep into everything you do. From financial strategies to staff management, be consistent and trust that there's enough abundance for everyone. Last but not least, invest in your people and watch them grow along with your business. It might take time, but you're running a marathon, not sprinting. So go at your own pace. And if it takes 20 years, well, that's 20 years well spent. I'd like to thank Charlie Maloof from Broad River Retail for his tireless energy and his good spirit. His undying faith in business is a lesson for all. And as we wrap season four, I also want to thank you, dear listener. We hope our recent guests have inspired you. We still have a couple of surprises in store during the holiday season, so stick around just a little longer. After all, when we're together, we're in good company. In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Our production team is Sheena Cochran, Edie Pingeli, and Natalie Barron. Our executive producer is Danielle Cornell. This podcast is made in collaboration with the team at Lower Street. Writing and production from Andrew Ganim and Lise Lavati. Sound design and mixing by Ben Crown. podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank and its affiliates make no representation or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests in this podcast are solely their own current opinions regarding the subject matters discussed in the podcast and are based on their own perspectives. Such views, perspectives, and opinions do not reflect those of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates or the companies in which any guest is or may be affiliated. The production and presentation of this podcast by Cadence Bank does not imply the expression of any opinion on part of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates.